Hello everybody, welcome back to another great edition of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host Matt, and again, I'm accompanied by none other than Michael. And today we've got a pretty simple show for you. We'll just cap off some of the ongoings going around the league, which isn't too much. And we're going to spend most of the time talking about uh, the NBA Finals Game 2, what happened, what went down, what may happen in the future. But before that, uh, we'd like to give a big thanks to uh, Twitch Prime. As you, as you may know, uh, Amazon recently acquired the mega streaming service Twitch. Uh, Twitch is a multi-million dollar streaming service company that provides uh, viewers ways to connect to their content creators and interact in a hundred different ways. Uh, and all of your favorite content creators on that platform, whether it be uh, uh, the NBA, uh, Bob Ross, Pity uh, Streamers, uh, literally anything you could think of. So uh, little did you know that if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you get a free Twitch Prime subscription. And what you can do with that is you can link your Amazon account and your Twitch account uh, allowing you to blend two of the best subscription services in one. And uh, with our promo code Heart in the Paint, you too can get a Twitch Prime subscription to use on your favorite uh, softcore porn studio of your choice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't look at how much money they make per donation it's fucking insane and with that we'll just jump right into the uh league news so uh do we have an update on what is going on with brian colangelo uh possibly the conspiracy goes deeper with either maybe his wife or his son being the actual uh owners of these uh various twitter accounts uh which attack Embiid and uh um and Hinky and a few other faults. Um, apparently, the Sixers have opened an actual investigation, so we'll see how this pans out. Uh, my guess is there's been a spy that has infiltrated the Phillies camp, and this goes as deep as you can think. Um, but I wonder what the effect really is of this whole Colangelo kind of debacle in terms of the summer for free agency and for the draft. Um, the Sixers have a number 10 pick and I believe five picks total in this upcoming draft. So they do have a lot to work with, um, especially if they try to flip some of those picks for uh, another player or another star. Um you know, I wonder, do you like, do you see this uh, Colangelo thing kind of hanging a cloud over trying to get LeBron or Paul George or Kawhi? Or... Absolutely. That is exactly what I think. I think somebody is, whether it's intentional or just uh, coincidental, is definitely screwing up with a free agency, blockbuster free agency that could happen with the Sixers. You think it's Danny Ainge? Mm, I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's. Uh, you know, the ultimate troll would be Magic Johnson, right? Because he knows <laughs> he, he is the secondary destination for LeBron, right? So it would only make sense. 
he's a new guy to the uh the nba managing system it would only make sense he colludes just like the russians right <laughs> so how uh how plausible are you buying that this might be colangelo's wife like I, i'm seeing this is kind of hard to believe just because it kind of seemed like whoever uh uh posted these tweets kind of had the like intuition or knowledge kind of it seemed very firsthand um i don't know how much colangelo's wife really cares about basketball or you know this team like i mean um I don't know. What, 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 like on a scale of one to five, how much are you buying that this is Colangelo's wife and not Colangelo himself? Uh, man, that's that's a tough one. I don't. I'm gonna go with like a two. I'm not. I don't think this is like other. You know, it's not like the Lakers where you've got the Bus family that kind of owns the team, right? This is mm-hmm. this is a singular dude. You know. He's at work all day. His wife's at home or, you know, doing expensive things because he makes tons of money. So yeah. I wouldn't expect it to be her. Do you think uh, Colangelo's going to lose his job by the uh, end of June, right before free agency or right before the draft, maybe? Ooh. It's possible. I could, I could definitely see that. He hasn't been in Philly that long. And if, you know, if this is looming around like a dark cloud and they don't have a great game plan going into the summer, they haven't gotten any of those wink-wink, like, nudge-nudge commit committals to trades, then uh, I could totally see him leaving. I just don't know who you'd replace him with. Uh, Meek Mill. <laughs> not, even, not even kidding. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the, uh, the webs of the internet... Uh, Steven Adams recently liked a Instagram post uh, that basically took a bit of a shot at Mello. Uh, you know, it basically was a, a picture with uh, Russell and PG-13 and Mello and Steven Adams. And the gist of the post was basically like, who is the real MVP of this team? And uh, the comment reply, uh, however you want to phrase it, uh, Steven Adams apparently liked uh, the one that said that Mello, everyone but Mello, um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or do you, as you know, probably a sane person, think, no, nah, this is definitely Russell's team. Russell's the MVP of this team. Proved it last year. Proved it this year. Just any casual onlooker can see that <laughs> Mello doesn't fit in uh, on the court. He's just not contributing, and. Um, you know, when I'm watching it and I'm looking at value players, you know, obviously Russ PG and then Steven Adams in my mind, I think Carmelo's almost could be a bench role. You know, there was talks oh, you, going around about that. You bumped so. Adams up to like third on this team. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. And Melo to the bench. Yep. Carme- Carmelo Anthony. He could start like on another the- team, maybe the Cavaliers, but not, not OKC. Oh wow! You think that like his his like stardom has fallen so much in the past like three years, two three years that he should be on the bench? I mean, what did he do in the playoffs? Well, I mean, what did Russ or uh, Playoff P do in the playoffs? I mean, oh, it's Push Off P. You got to get your, your oh, nicknames right. 
No, but I could, you know, he's on the trading block for sure. I know I he's mean, got a huge contract, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of your missing piece. Yeah, he's looking at $28 million by staying with OKC. I don't know if he gets uh, $28 million or even like twenty five on the uh, open market, except for maybe a few spots um, that are in real title contention, like maybe Houston uh, or Cleveland. Uh, you see any other spots that Melo could land outside of OKC? I like the Houston idea. I like the Cleveland idea. You know, I just don't know if he's... You're giving up a lot of money for someone that has shown this year that they can't produce to that level of money. So it's really a hard trade. Uh, I mean, one place I do like him going is Miami. Uh, so I think if anything else, Spolcher will get him back into shape. And I think he can be a good player on that team. Yeah, I, I could see that. It kind of depends what they do with Whiteside, though, I feel. Yeah. Well, speaking of Miami, they open up next year for the 2019 NBA title at 20 to 1 uh, odds. Uh, topping the list is Golden State at 5 4 and Houston 7 to 2, as well as Philly also. It'd be surprisingly also being seven to two and Boston kind of capping out your top four at eight to one. Um, give us a bit of a rundown on who do you see as uh, favorites for next year's title race? Um, probably a bit premature because I'm sure Cleveland will jump up to like number two or three after they win the next four out of five games. But uh, who are your favorites for next year, Matt? Yeah, so this list came out, I think, yesterday or earlier today, but uh. Some interesting points on here is uh, the LA Lakers have a 20 to 1 odds to win, which is higher than the Cavaliers right now, who are at 30 to 1. And that's totally predicated on this LeBron trade rumor, which is kind of hilarious in my mind. Also, up that high is San Antonio and Miami, which are all in that kind of second tier ballpark for the title, which is, you know, San Antonio is interesting because a lot of people are saying Kawhi's going to leave. And that team's definitely not 25 to 1 without Kawhi. Uh, another, what about LeBron? Another interesting part there is, uh, you know, if LeBron shows up. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. That's, that's pretty slim in my mind compared to LA. Uh, if you're going to put money on any of the 30 teams on this list, uh, and let's mention, okay, so we have Golden State at 5 to 4, and at the bottom we have Atlanta at 1,000 to 1. So all the other 28 teams are kind of in this range. Uh, if you had like a dark horse uh, to put your money on, like who's your, uh, you know, they have a long shot, but I'm going to give them, I'm going to, I'm going to ride them. Which okay. team do you see? If I had like, if I had like a hundred bucks, and I was going to put 20 bucks, a couple teams. I'd put, I'd put 20 bucks on Philly. That's like my safe bet. Because if LeBron goes there, those odds go up tremendously. And then I would I would put twenty on Portland because LeBron could also go there, and they're eighty to one right now. So obviously they'd be much better odds once if LeBron moved there. Uh, I would also put twenty on the Pelicans. 
because they gave Golden State a decent challenge. If Boogie comes back, he's okay. Maybe they get an offseason trade. Uh, and then I'd put, I think I'd put 20 on the Pacers just, just for how good they gave it to LeBron, you know, just give him a nice tip. And then to round it off, I'd put 20 on, uh, I think I put 20 on Dallas and because they're in this weird spot where they could just totally revamp their entire roster Mm -hmm. and 20 bucks at a 300 to one odd sounds pretty good to me. So. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, so it kind of seems like a lot of this kind of hangs over where does LeBron go? Um, do you see any other like uh, potential free agents that could kind of flip some of these odds or maybe uh, push some teams up higher on the list besides LeBron? One of these I'm surprised by is Phoenix at 200 to 1. If you look at the list, there's a lot of guys like... Phoenix has been historically mismanaged and doesn't really have the best team right now, minus like Devin Booker and a really good draft pick this year. So this 201 seems high to me. Like I would put them like in the 300 to 500 category. Uh, it's uh, TJ Warren's breakout year. I, I'm of- surprised at uh, Milwaukee and Denver too. I feel like they should be a little bit higher. I mean, I know they kind of collapsed at the end of the season, but... Those teams are only going to get better, and uh, Milwaukee's got a new coach. Denver's still solid, even though they had the Paul Millsap injury. So they, I feel like they should be in like the the eighty range. Yeah, I mean, speaking of these kind of like surprises, I'm really surprised that Detroit is so far down with Blake. Um, they're actually like in the same uh, tier as Brooklyn and Charlotte, um, which does seem a little weird since. Um, you know, you kind of think of two out of the th- those three teams being bottom feeders and another one being kind of like a fringe playoff team. Um, so I think it kind of means that, you know, Brooke, uh, Detroit seems like it's going to kind of fall apart here over the summer, but who knows? Speaking of teams that did not fall apart, uh, we'll get to the Golden State Warriors. All right, uh, Matt, give us like a, a short recap of game two. The game two was a fun, fun game to watch. And that was mostly predicated upon Steph Curry breaking the three point record for a finals game. Uh, he had eight. Uh, so that was eight was the tie with Ray Allen and I think himself from a previous year. Uh, and he got nine that night. So hope he's got a new finals record. Uh, just uh, do, you think, do you think it's kind of weird how long it took him? Like, you know, it's like his fourth finals appearance, and that's when he finally did it. It's not weird when you think about um, the matchup, right? So, past several years, he's had to guard, to be defended by an elite position matchup. So, mm-hmm. Della Vadova the first year, and then Kyrie the second two years, and injured, partly injured that second year. So, it's not surprising to me. He also, I think he has the most three-pointers in the finals now. Like, he he just passed LeBron for that, that game, too. Which is also pretty funny, considering how many times LeBron's been in the finals and how many times Steph's been in the finals, how many more games he's played. Um, But basically, uh, Golden State uh, led pretty much the whole game. 
Uh, there was very few lead changes. There were it was always like that six to seven point cushion at the at the the least, and then uh, you know Cleveland kind of held on in that twelve to six point range for three three and a half quarters, and then Golden State just blew it out of the water in the fourth quarter and ended up winning by was it eighteen. The most impressive things to me were. J.R. Smith getting MVP chance at the strike. I know, I know. I, I, I was actually not expecting it. And then when I heard it the first time, like, I don't know, I, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like, it was just so ridiculous. Um, I, It was just, you know, I really didn't think Golden State fans were really that kind of mean, that kind of edgy outside of LeBron, but <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Feels like a very Boston thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it kind of feels like that, like Boston or kind of Philly, you know, like, um, you know, everyone who comes in is kind of like an enemy to us mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess they weren't really being that mean to JR. It was more just like sarcasm. But uh, do you think JR lived up to his MVP uh, uh, campaign here? Absolutely not. Uh... <laughs> He shot like what was it two of eleven for the game? Uh, yeah, some two of two of nine with uh five points. Two of nine, one three, one. Uh, I think it was like a floater in the in the lane. Pretty bad. Uh, obviously didn't play great defense either, considering uh, Clay Thompson looked really great coming back from that crazy uh, high ankle sprain, is what they're calling it now. Yeah, definitely not an MVP game from J.R. Smith, but, uh, you know, he's got another uh, four games to make it up, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, how how crazy is it that basically J.R. Smith, um, you know, for being in four straight finals now, being on that Cleveland team that came back from 3-1, has decided that, you know, the, the only thing more impressive than going down 0-3 and then winning four games is to, in fact, be the first team in NBA history to uh, have to win five games in a seven-game series. Um, I got to give you know kudos to JR for uh, redefining what a seven-game series really means. Yeah, that would only make the MJ-LeBron comparison stop as if LeBron <laughs> won five games in an NBA Finals. Uh, okay, so Golden State basically kind of... Uh, ran through kind of kind of this Cavs team in kind of like an expected way. I think this kind of game was kind of a prototypical game that most people were expecting where uh, the firepower from Golden State, you know, kind of their moniker, strength and numbers, um, really just came to fruition, you know. And I, and I think we saw that with Steph, uh, again, being kind of this dynamo, setting the three-point uh, makes finals record, Kevin Durant was very efficient from the floor and Clay Thompson, you know, contributed an extra like 20 points um, off a really good night. So, uh, you know, where did, where does Cleveland kind of go from this? You know, they played really well in game one, uh, except for, you know, JR in the last five seconds of this, of that uh, fourth quarter. And then this game, they were playing fairly well until it felt like the fourth quarter when, Steph just started, you know, raining in threes. Like, he had that one kind of miracle moonshot over Kevin Love as the shot clock expired, and that seemed to basically give them the momentum to 
close out the game at the Oracle. Um, yeah, it's but, tough. Like, what does Cleveland have to do? It's just, yeah. you know, you got to feel real bad about this game. Your supporting cast really didn't show up at all. Um, I mean, plenty of guys missed shots. Uh, let's just let's just look at the combined field goal percentage of of uh, bench players. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, just to like round out the cast, supporting cast. You know, I'm, I'm including Jr. in that. George Hill. Tristan Thompson, Nance Jr., Jeff Green, Kyle Korver, and Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, um, so kind those, of asked those six, like, right? Those six, yeah. not including James Lover Thompson. So those those six shot 12 of 40 for the whole game, uh, and only four of those were three-pointers. So uh, that is pretty, pretty bad. I mean, 30%, that is much below league average, let alone Kyle Korver didn't make a shot, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're correct. He he had one point and it came on a on a free throw following a tech um technical foul. So Yeah. Uh not a good night for like a three pointer guy who you know, if Cleveland's really gonna hang in this in this series, they're gonna have to shoot a lot better from three. Mm-hmm. Um last night they went nine for twenty seven, so you know, literally thirty three point three percent. Um but against Golden State, you know, when, when Steph is shooting like that, you almost kind of have to match him a little bit, you know, offset the game. Well, it's like you either need to have JR making threes or Corver making threes because they're kind of your, you know, JJ Reddick, Clay Thompson type part of your team that kind of keeps the, the, uh, the weak side action honest, so to speak. So neither of those guys making things is pretty bad, uh, considering especially how good... Kyle Korver seemed to be playing in the Boston series. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Love was making some threes in that third quarter. Um, you know, kind of everyone kind of expecting Golden State to come out in the third quarter and to kind of, um, you know, break open the game where they were only like kind of up by five to like eight kind of in the first half, um, kind of going back and forth. And they kind of expected it in the third quarter uh, for that game to really uh, – you know, let loose the floodgates, but I, th- I, th- I thought Kevin Love actually was a player in that third quarter that kind of kept them in it by uh, hitting some timely threes. Um, but then they can't stop Steph Curry. I mean, uh, if, you're, if you're Ty Lue and you're LeBron and uh, I guess Kendrick Perkins will throw him in there, you know, what, what's the adjustment that has to be to try and contain Steph a little bit more? I think... I think you've got to give your bench guys some more playing time. I think, you know, I think your hope is to get some of your young spry guys in there and maybe get them in earlier in the rotation so that in case they throw the game away, you can go back to the vets. But I think you got to get like Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, and uh, not Osmond, maybe just those two. Get those two guys some good ball movement minutes. You know, because they, they, they don't seem to run the same offense when those guys are in, so maybe give those guys a chance to step up to the plate, see if they can make some shots or some defensive plays. Because Clarkson's had those defensive flashes. His offense has been, like, pretty bad, though. And, um, you know, maybe get Corver. Maybe Corver should start over JR. I've heard that argument a lot today. Mm. So I think it's I think it's a lineup change, honestly. Uh, because on the flip side, 
the Golden State bench just killed it all across the board. Uh, JaVale McGee started the game, first of all, and he went, I think, 6 of 6 from the field, which is great. Um, then you got Sean Livingston, your, your veteran bench point guard. He also went perfect from the field. You got David West. He came in. He hit his first three in eight months. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, and there's even that guy on Twitter. Uh, this this Twitter guy has been going around. Before the finals started, he said, uh, I will buy everybody a jersey if JaVale McGee makes more than 10 points in the finals. And JaVale did that the other night. So that retweet's got, I think it's got uh, like 100,000 retweets or something. So uh, that dude shell out some cash this week hopefully because i retweeted that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought uh golden state made some good adjustments by matching up big with uh javel in the starting lineup bringing in david west um obviously livingston's got some length and then throwing out uh looney and jordan bell kind of in the mix um i you know it almost seemed like they had a, a counter punch and then cleveland didn't have that like counter counter punch like they didn't know what to do after that. Yeah. You know, on defense, they were just like switching on everything. Um, which you know, I guess you can do. I guess you can just keep switching a lot. Like there was one possession, and this was early in the game. This wasn't even like, you know, into the rhythm of the game yet. I think we're only at like the nine minutes, twenty seconds kind of mark, whatever that possession is. And Cleveland made eight switches in like twenty seconds. It it just felt so unnecessary. And I think uh, you're right. Like, if you throw Rodney Hood, Corver, and Clarkson into that, and you just, you know, you match up Corver maybe on Clay, just because heights kind of match up a little bit better. But maybe, like, Clarkson and Hood, you know, if they play some good defense on Curry, you, you know, it starts to kind of get their, like, ego going, you know. It kind of gets them that confidence to be able to hit the shot on the other end of the floor. Because they're young guys, you know, they're not going to get tired. So, like... You know, maybe just kind of throwing bodies at Steph. Um, and, you know, Steph, you know, sometimes, you know, he's not the best at, you know, handling the ball with care. Maybe you pick up a steal and then, you know, someone like Clarkson, you know, he can drive. Um, you can make a decent pass, you know, in transition. So uh, I think I think you're right. I think they definitely need to expand the rotation. Um, another thing that I, I, I saw that Golden State improved on was just uh, – their attention at the basket um, on offense, you know, rebounding, trying to get more offensive rebounds, you know, not being kind of out rebounded out of the game like they were in game one, um, as well as when they were playing defense, clogging up the lanes with like two guys at the basket to stop LeBron. I mean, there were th at least three different layups where LeBron just missed them. Um, I mean, he probably got, you know, some contact, but. Um, they basically stacked up at the rim and it seemed to pay off. Yeah, I think part of that was uh, Kevin Durant actually played defense in the first half. And I think mm -hmm. it sort of, I think also putting JaVale in kind of kickstarted that defensive energy because now you've got yeah, another yeah. big man there. That yeah, is... you, got a, you got an actual rim protector and not Draymond. And I mean, JaVale is likely to get shacked in a fold on by, you know, Justin Thompson or LeBron if they dunk on him, but you know at least you have that looming presence there that that you still have to like you can't just plow through him every time. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was kind of weird because uh, Katie was playing a lot better defensively, uh, especially against LeBron. Mm-hmm. But I also saw other Cavs players try to match up against Kevin Durant, like Kevin Love and George Hill. And I was just thinking, why? Like, of all the mismatches that you can find on Golden State, why would you try and attack Kevin Durant off the dribble or, like, Kevin Durant in the post for Kevin Love? It, it, it just seemed like the wrong, you know, basketball move to make. Um, whereas, you know, I thought LeBron, you know, he had 13 assists, but honestly, he should have had like 19 to 20. Um, so he was, he was, you know, getting guys their shots. They just weren't falling. You know, I've, I've, I think their logic for, for Cleveland is they want to put someone else on Kevin Durant because, you know, they want to save LeBron some energy, right? Because ideally you'd probably put LeBron on him, just height-wise mm-hmm. and muscle-wise. Um, and there's a couple possessions where, you know, it's like Kevin Durant gets this, like, mid-post thing, you know, mid-post on the wing against George Hill, and George Hill somehow swipes it away from him. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that happens if you've got, you know, a foot-height advantage on the guy. But um, otherwise, Kevin Durant had a really efficient game compared to last time. Like, this was probably, you know, it, it was a very quiet, I think it was like 26, 7, and 9 or something like that. So, overall, very good. He shot eight less shots, but made like four more than he did last game. So, his percentage was like 70% or something like that. Um, so, what, that's what you'd want to see from him. And most of them were mid-range shots, too, which is great because that's... Uh, that goes against the D'Antoni philosophy for for our records, <laughs> and it it looked like they were easier shots too than than last game. It looked like he wasn't forcing a tough shot. He was kind of picking his spots better, really just taking a a much better shot than he was last time. And hopefully that continues. And hopefully he makes more of those off of screens rather than those crazy ISOs and the post he gets sometimes. But We'll see. Overall, overall, he was uh, he was the quiet good performance of the game. Yeah, he 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 kind of had this vibe of being like uh, Kobe in the uh, 2001 finals, where he was sort of this, um, you know, kind of super duper sidekick. You know, like like Shaq really dominated those 01 finals, but Kobe was like, you know, more than a sidekick. But he wasn't quite like alpha dog kobe yet and it kind of felt a lot like that where steph was kind of the you know like uh option a and kevin durant was like your go-to option b but he's clearly like you know better than like you know a sidekick but he kind of had that kind of oh one kobe kind of feel where you know he's like the second best player on this team even though he really should be the first mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a lot of that with, uh, it kind of reminded me of like the the Heatles days where it's like, okay, LeBron dictates like the entire game plan, but then it's like, oh crap, they've got Dwayne Wade too, and he's just going to post up or cut on us or do whatever. Yeah. Uh, So Iguodala is uh, still out. He might make a comeback for game three. Um, Did you see any kind of lingering effects from game one where it looked like they kind of needed Iguodala on LeBron to this game? is primarily Iguodala would be faced up against LeBron. So how do you see that playing out? 
I think they really did a better job of kind of getting into LeBron's space in this game, especially Draymond and KD. I think there was even times where they had the 15-point lead where Draymond was just swiping at the ball of LeBron and getting right up into him, and this is like a foot past the three-point line. So I think they definitely made it a commitment to not only get in his space, but kind of force him the right directions they wanted him to. And mm-hmm. on top of that, their their help rotations were a little bit crisper. You know, they had JaVale in too, so that, that helps with some rim protection. So overall, I think that they just yeah. game-planned it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would like Draymond Green's performance if he just didn't have that Draymond Green personality. Like, I just hate the way that he bitches you know, about so many things in the course of a game, you know, even when they are like up uh, in a game or like they're pretty much kind of on that cruise control, like um, he just whines so much and he never really gets that many texts for his, like as many as he probably should deserve. And like one I really had an issue with was uh, uh, there was like a Kevin Love kind of defensive rebound off a Golden State miss and he like kicks it out to LeBron on the other side of the court. And LeBron basically gets tackled by uh, a combination of Clay and Steph. And there's like a no call. And then Ty Lue is like irate, so he gets like a tech. Uh, and then almost like 90 seconds later, like, you know, like a little over a minute later, Draymond is just complaining his ass off about like something far more, you know, like obvious, far less. Uh, uh, more minute and nothing, you know, like no, you know, the official just kind of brushes them off. So it kind of had, you know, some carryover from game one where the officials almost seemed to target LeBron in terms of we don't want to give him the calls tonight. Um, but uh, what's your take on the officiating um, for game two? Basically, the entire Cavaliers fan base hates the refs. Like, not only are they playing, you know, LeBron versus the world. They're playing LeBron versus the refs versus the world. And uh, it's and definitely JR. frustrating. And uh, it was interesting, though, because uh, speaking of that, like, complaining point you're talking about, it, the commentary of the game, I think Jeff Van Gundy made a, made a big point about, you know, a lot of these constant yelpers about, oh, this is a foul when it's not, and they make these big expressions kind of get more rope from the refs in terms of what expressions lead to a technical. And mm-hmm. a prime example happened in that game with you know, Ty Lue. I guess he's typically a really quiet guy when it comes to bad calls by the refs, but he was irate about uh, one of those calls on LeBron that didn't get called, and he got a tech for it, even though he didn't really make a huge showing. You know, He was just a little bit out of character. And yeah, it, like you might have come on the floor, but uh, yeah, yeah, it just seemed like unnecessary. Um, whereas I, I think you're kind of getting there with like Draymond, but I'll let you keep going. Yeah, so it, it, I mean, one coaches are on the floor like half the time, anyways, so I don't see how that matters, but more importantly, it's like, like, uh, you know, it's like if you're a teacher at a school with a bunch of little kids, and like, you know, you've got those couple problem students that just act out all the time. And then you've got like the couple quiet kids. It's like, you know, obviously the problem kids get away with more, but you can't fight every battle, right? Because otherwise it just makes the experience worse for everybody. So then when the quiet kid acts out, it's like, 
well, I want to give him more leeway, but I have to kind of be fair to everybody. And it just kind of puts you in this real awkward spot. So I, I, I'm agreeing with you that Draymond's getting, well, you know, maybe it's also because we just kind of assume Golden State's going to win all the time. And, you know, it's not really this, you know, double overtime intense struggle. So we don't, we don't see the passion from both sides, especially after how the last game ended. I'm getting a little upset with Draymond's emotion, but he hasn't nut kicked anyone yet, so I think that's a net positive. <laughs> I mean, he's still got uh, at least two more games, and they'll be in Cleveland, so maybe uh, you know calls start to lean the other way. Uh, another thing that I was kind of keeping track of um, was I was kind of thinking that you know both teams had really good starts at the beginning of the game. You know, Golden State I think started like seven for seven, and Cleveland started for like four of six or something or four or five um like offense was kind of coming easy in those first uh three four minutes of the game and i thought oh man like what's gonna happen first you know is is golden state gonna go cold probably unlikely is cleveland gonna go cold probably but then how how would they like um react and kind of get back into the game and they never really could you know like the second quarter um you know, by halftime, basically, uh, Cleveland was shooting 34.8% from the field to Golden State's 59.5. I mean, you, you can't, you know, get – you can't be – you can't get your, like, shot out of the gym by Golden State, you know. Um, it's really hard to come back from that. And it kind of had that uh, vibe that Houston had in the Western Conference Finals Game 7 where their first half, everything was falling in. And then the third quarter started, they got blitzed by Golden State. And then by the fourth quarter, nothing, you know, everything was just coming off rim, right? Where they had like 27 missed straight threes. Um, so it kind of felt like that where both teams started out hot and then Golden State just kind of went, you know, dialed back to warm. And then obviously Steph, you know, got them cooking again. But Cleveland just kind of went cold and, you, you know, they just can never really get it back. Um they did hold their own in that third quarter, though. I think they actually outscored Golden State, which is probably like a first. Um, but, you know, kind of in terms of adjustments, you know, how do you see Cleveland kind of being able to, you know, find their shooting stroke again? Because they haven't really found it in games games one or two. And um, do you think going back home is going to help them in this series of just kind of finding their uh, finding their points? Yeah, so going home is the the whole crux of this series is, you know, when you look at the stats, Cleveland's 10 points better at home. Their, their role players actually make shots. Uh, LeBron tends to score less at home but get more assists, mostly because those role players are making shots and playing defense. So I would expect them to weather the... Out the Western shootout of Golden State that can happen sometimes, but more importantly is you know you can't trade threes for twos against a team that can shoot sixty percent from the field like that. That just compounds your your bad shooting even more. Uh, like how how do how does Cleveland then like fix their defense? Like how do they how do they fix this perimeter defense? How do they drive them off the line? Who do they attack? You know, because you have Kevin Durant, you have Clay, you have Steph. Those are kind of the big three-point shooters on this team. 
um, unless Iguodala also plays. Um, but I mean, the rest of this lineup, you know, these aren't three point specialists, right? McGee, David West, Looney, uh, Livingston, you know, are kind of the other major minutes. So how do you how do you drive them off the line for those three guys, but kind of keep them from creating? I think you've got to try and make them complacent in the ISO ball. I think that's the trick. And I think some of the other teams kind of did that to them earlier in the playoffs where, you know, they would just let Steph ISO or let KD ISO. That's a lot of work. And that takes all of their guys out of rhythm. Um, you know, that, that usually prevents threes unless it's Steph. I would also like just off a whim to see like some crazy small ball lineup from the Cavs where it's like LeBron's your biggest guy on the court. I think that'd be cool to see for like two minutes. Problem is in a two minute stretch they could be on a the wrong end of a 15-0 run by Golden State. Uh, and you've already lost. If you get like if you're the Cavs and you get down like more than 16, I think you just lose the game. Yeah. I mean I I think they have to you know, open up this uh, their bench a little bit and find a lineup. Like they like a lot of what they did in the Boston series kind of came by tweaking the lineup, right? They got Jeff Green in there. They got Kyle Korver, who played some good defense, you know, for Kyle Korver's sake. Like, um, and I think they have to kind of do the same thing again, where they have to kind of rediscover a lineup that can work that they can run with for like you know fifteen twenty minutes in the game. You know, I mean. Most likely, it's going to involve LeBron, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. So you're looking a little big, but I don't know who makes up those guard spots. You know, on the on this team that can kind of keep them in it. Yeah, that's the problem. I think right is is they don't have a they have two guards and then LeBron, and and maybe you could throw Jr. in the guard spot, and all three of those are not great at defense and are not being consistent from three so that that really that really rubs me the wrong way yeah i mean i think cleveland should actually go bigger um you know especially if they're if they're if they're you know down in game three i think they should actually go with a lineup that includes lebron kevin love tristan thompson and larry nance jr uh so that way on defense uh they'll kind of bait kevin durant into uh playing ISO onto probably Larry Nance or Kevin Love. And I think you just kind of live with it if you're a Cleveland, you know, force Kevin Durant to really be the guy on Golden State and try and freeze out Steph as much as you can in the game because, um, he, I mean, right now he looks like the, the MVP of Golden State Warriors. I think everybody would agree with you on trying to ISO, let, let like Golden State ISO and, uh, Keep beating them on the boards and keep trying to beat them in second chance points. Um, kind of slow the pace down. And um, yeah, I think I also agree with you that Steph is most is the MVP front runner right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned pace. Like I kind of saw LeBron in that game one kind of being the one to dictate pace a lot of times. Um you know, how how did how did Golden State kind of take that away from him? Like how did Golden State manage to kind of reclaim uh the tempo of the game? 
I think there was a couple of things. I think one was they did less KD ISOs, which were slowing the game down, kind of doing uh it's kinda of, it's kinda of how Cleveland plays more, right? So they do like the LeBron ISO and then play through that and then Golden State was doing the KD ISO and then play through that. Mm. But that's not really their game. I think also uh kind of pressing up on the defense and showing those bodies to LeBron that make him not take the first drive but the second drive and then your defense can kind of recalibrate off of like switches or you know weak side screens or whatever I think that really helped I think what also helped is the Cavaliers just didn't make shots so fast breaks easy transition buckets yeah so uh as a as the series kind of shifts back to the land um how do you kind of see maybe games three and four panning out like can cleveland notch this thing back up to two two um is you know is it going to be three one heading back to the oracle or um does the series end you know in game four in cleveland well you know they say a series doesn't start until they win one on the road and that would have happened game one if it weren't for a couple <laughs> IQ points lost by our J.R. Smith player. Doesn't even have a couple to lose. <laughs> Too much dope, man. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think Golden State wins game three, and I think it's going to look really similar to game two. Oh, wow. So you see, so you see uh, the Cavs going down to an 0-3 hole, um, kind of similar to last year where, where they managed to... Uh, get game four on kind of like a historic shooting night and then um, lose it in game five back at the Oracle. Yeah. I think it goes down really similarly. I think, I think, uh, you know, okay, maybe Corver makes some shots next game and it's a little bit closer or it's a little bit more of a blowout in the first half or, you know, one way or the other, but it shakes out to about the same, same feel where it's like golden state has most of the pace you know, we're never really in a worry. And then game four, I think, it's just like total LeBron, like, screw you mode. And I can't <laughs> wait to see that again. I love seeing that. Yeah, there might might not be too many more years that we can kind of see LeBron go into this, uh, you know, fuck you, caveman, you know, kind of ancient times ball where, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the next evolution of hero ball. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's dive into some player ratings uh, to kind of close out our recap on game two. Uh, let's begin with uh, the the man of the hour, Steph Curry. Steph is the player of the game in my books, so I'd give him I'd give him a solid A. Uh, what what could he have done to get an A plus? Uh, he needed to. He he only made like two layups, which is kind of crazy. But he needed to make some more layups in the paint, or some more floaters, or something in there, and uh, you know, maybe shoot ten threes instead of nine threes. You know, a plus has got to be like you know thirty seven points in a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's drop to uh, Batman then, Clay Thompson, man who has actually done that feat. How did Clay do last night? I'd say he kind of saved them in that third quarter when Cleveland started getting on that Kevin Love run. So uh, oh, wow. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say a solid B. Played some good D. Made some. He made some pretty crazy shots that quarter. And uh, you know, he can't. He's got this weird ankle thing going on. So I'm kind of surprised how well he played. Uh, Kevin Durant, otherwise known as O One Kobe. I would give him a B plus uh, because he shot mega efficient. Played defense for two and a half quarters. So he basically kind of neutralized LeBron almost. Um, I would give him an A if he scored more than 30. Uh, how, how do you think the chemistry between KD and Seth was in this game? It still kind of seems like they're not really on the same page, but they just kind of made it work anyway. Like, I didn't see a lot of, like, you know, Kevin Durant screening for Seth, and then he kind of, you know, they kind of play off that. Um you know, how, how's that chemistry between Steph and KD in this game compared to game one? I think it's about the same. I, mm. I, I didn't see a lot of visual indicators. You know, and, and they aren't really a team that does like that pick and roll with their best players much anyways. So I, I wouldn't say it changed a whole lot, but a win can cover up a lot of mistakes. Uh, Sean Livingston, who through the first two games of these NBA Finals has not missed a shot, uh, 10 for 10 from the field, uh, providing pretty good instant offense off the bench, um, as well as kind of steadying the ship in that second quarter where, uh, you know, Steph and Clay come out. Uh, how's Sean Livingston doing in the, the series? I would give Sean Livingston an A. Uh, he hasn't missed a shot. He does he does a lot of things that Steph doesn't do, so it gives you a really different feel for that second unit. He's tall, so he can get boards. Uh, he, he knows how to set up the, the offensive sets. And he's definitely not afraid of, you know, making a crazy pass here or there or going for a steal on LeBron or something like that. Uh, on the Cavs side of things, uh, I'm going to skip JR. I think we already know where the MVP is in our hearts. Uh, and I'm going to skip LeBron. I think it's kind of already been hashed out. You know, kind of, kind of, you know, even like a B plus game from LeBron is probably like a triple A plus from almost any other guy in the league. Uh, what about uh, Tristan Thompson in this game? I didn't, I didn't feel him at all. Like, where, where did he just disappear this game? What happened? Yeah, it felt like that rebounding edge that he brought in the in game one, you know, kind of carried over for the first couple of minutes, but it felt a lot like JaVale McGee just kind of took him out of it. Um, I think it was a good move by Steve Kerr to bring in McGee um, and David West to kind of keep Golden State a little bit bigger, so that way Tristan Thompson wasn't kind of just banging him on the boards. Um, what about Kyle Korver? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, I can't, he, he didn't score. Like, what, what did he even do besides make a free throw? Yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not on this, uh, on this roster for, uh, defense. He's not scoring, and he's basically bringing nothing to the table. Uh, and last, uh, let's do, uh, let's do the side man. Let's do Kevin Love, the uh, the all star, maybe an all star, maybe not an all star, maybe supporting cast member. 
the underrated, overrated Kevin Love. What grade do you think Kevin Love gets in game two? Kevin Love shot seven of 18. Uh, I think he's got to shoot better than that. Was, he only made three threes and four layups. So none of those kind of mid-range post-ups that he has done in the past. Um, and a lot of those threes were off of kind of open looks for the most part. So I, I would give him like a C plus. His defense was surprisingly okay for for just uh, you know he's got to be like a twenty twenty guy in my opinion. Yeah, I mean he's I think he's got to be more of an all star here, um, kind of step up a little bit. Um, no, he isn't really kind of bringing that kind of second threat, second option um, on this team. You know, I think I think if the if the Cavs are gonna still get nothing from most of their roster, uh, Kevin Love has to become like a twenty-five point, fifteen rebound. You know, digging in deep with Tristan Thompson down there on the post. I would agree. I mean, it's like Tristan Thompson will get you like 10 and 15, but you need Kevin Love to do like 25 and 10, and then they got to combine for like 30 and 30, right? That that would be ideal. Yeah. Uh, any other players you want to discuss for uh, game two um, that I'm missing? Oh, shout out to uh, uh, Seti Osman. He actually got some playing time there in the first quarter. Yeah, he got some playing time at the end too. Oh, you know, the one the one thing we didn't say is uh I think it was early in the fourth quarter, Steph had a nice little ankle breaker on uh Larry Nance. Larry Nance. It was yeah. beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't replay it on the game. I was like, the dude just stumbled like slightly and almost twisted his ankle. I, yeah, it was a pretty good night for Steph, I think. <laughs> on his uh on his way to an MVP. All right. Well, that will uh that will do it for our game 2 uh discussion and review and analysis and whatever you'd like to call what we talk about. Uh but before we go today, we would like to th- say thank you to our sponsor uh at at Gab AI. Gab AI, the social media with no restrictions. Gab is a new social media platform designed to shake up the the monopolies of social media. Uh, With virtually no rules and no uh, overlords or bannings, you can feel freer than ever than the competition could even make you dream of. Recapture the glory days of the Wild West internet with uh, feeds and subscriptions similar to everything you know um, and feel right at home like you did in the old days. Never before has social media felt so rewarding and so personalized. You can find Gab free on the App Store, Play Store, and anywhere you go with an internet connection. Um, Hey, you know, the social media giants have proven that their privacy is at question, uh, their collusion with the Russians is at question. You know, I I personally don't drink vodka because I'm worried that the the Russians could collude with my erection, but, you know, uh, they're private slash public company nobody knows but with gab ai you can feel free that they are a private company that's not going to 
intrude on whatever free speech you might think exists. So uh, whether you're an SJW, a radical centrist, uh, you know, a Klansman, a Palestinian terrorist, or even a guy that likes saying nigger, you can sign up today at Gab AI. And with that, that will uh, end our podcast for the day. You can find us on uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, Twitter at the associated links below. Uh, feel free to email us at the link at the description. We love our viewers and our comments we get. You know, we've had some great fan mail recently. Uh, maybe next week we'll start digging into it now that we've got some great questions piled up. And uh, we would love to give a shout out this episode to our viewer of the Fortnite. Uh, Aurelio Bellotti, because we found out that uh, David actually doesn't view our podcast. So uh, thank you to Aurelio. Uh, we look forward to hearing your voice uh, eventually on the podcast and uh, hearing more great feedback from you. With that, everybody, have a great day.